So you always want to be prepared to... To set goals. To be really disruptive. Diversity is fundamental. It is just trusting those super strengths. To recover from those failures and, and learn from them. Humility looks like the softest word, but it's kind of the hardest. We ourselves are in beta mode. Life goes on. Sporting Edge, inside the mind of champions. Welcome to the Inside the Mind of Champions podcast. My name is Jeremy Snape. I'm a former England cricketer with a master's degree in sports psychology. Since retiring, I've been fortunate to work with and interview some of the world's most successful thinkers and performers. And I'm passionate about translating their habits and routines into practical strategies to help you become more successful. In each episode, I'll be dissecting a common performance challenge to help you improve your mindset, your leadership and your team performance. To me, our mindset is the next frontier. So let's find out why. Hello and welcome to episode 38 of Inside the Mind of Champions. I hope you enjoyed last week's episode with some reflections on the Tokyo Olympics. And I really appreciate those of you who posted and shared some ideas and discussion on LinkedIn and the emails I received via hello at sportingedge.com. Also, massive thanks to all of the ratings on the podcast platforms that you've been given in recent weeks. We're really gathering some positive momentum now and we've got the show up to number seven in the all-time chart for management in the UK. It's also rising in some beautiful and diverse nations like Oman, Sweden, Thailand and New Zealand. So wherever you're listening in from today, thanks so much for investing some time with this show. Also massive thanks to those who rated and reviewed the show. Richard with your five-star review saying it's superb and informative. I listen every time the show comes out and it helps me with my leadership challenges uh, that we all face at work. So thanks Richard for that review. That's the intent I guess to go beyond the stories and the insights and actually see how the psychology can be applied of high performance in a practical sense both in your life, in your work and in the cultures that we're trying to create in in our environments. So when you share these links in your social media and across your internal business networks uh, with your colleagues, it means that we can inspire more people who are battling with exactly the same issues that we all face. It's really interesting time at the moment. We're running a, a few leadership events and digital coaching sessions for some senior leadership groups in Melbourne. And uh, as we're opening up in the UK, we can see that other cities in places like Melbourne are are actually closing down and locking down as COVID does yet another lap around the globe. So I really hope you're safe and well wherever you are. So the theme that I've chosen for today is absolutely critical to creating a high performance culture, um, whether you're in a face to face world and also a virtual world. And it comes from an interview I recently did with Owen Eastwood. Owen's a friend of mine and a respected colleague in this high performance team culture space. He's worked with England football, NATO, the British Olympic Association and also Man City. And I brought Owen in to work alongside me at the South African cricket team for their culture project. And it's a piece of work that we're both incredibly proud of. And he shares some insights in his book and also 
this full interview, the video interview is available for Sporting Edge members. So do remember to come over to sportingedge.com and use that podcast 50 discount code to claim access to about 80 amazing interviews with some incredible thought leaders that are going to help you with your mindset, your leadership and your team culture. So that's at sportingedge.com forward slash membership. Now, you may not have heard of Owen, and that's partly because that's the way he likes it. But his background and his approach are both absolutely fascinating. Owen's specialist area is team culture and the COVID pandemic has not only ravaged industries and businesses, it's also tested our leaders as to whether they can maintain those crucial social and human connections in their teams while everyone is working independently in isolation. Technology experts might tell you that we've never been so connected, but psychologists and culture experts would challenge that with so many people reporting that despite having access to devices with endless connections, they've never felt so alone. In this first insight, Owen shares how different leaders with different priorities have nurtured or neglected their cultures in recent months. I think in the current context where there's so much of communication is virtual, I've seen an incredible spectrum over the last 12 months or so, and I'm sure you're the same. Um, I've seen some leaders who have been so proactive and intentional around maintaining this personal connection, albeit it's not in person. And I've even seen examples where they've proactively reached out to their partners. And not in a roundabout way to check on their people, but actually they genuinely care. And they want to know how everybody is and they want to understand if they can help. And they want to understand how work is fitting into their you know, turned upside down world. So I think that's been really impressive, I've seen that. I've seen other leadership where nothing's happened. Because there hasn't been a work need to get together for a meeting, a virtual meeting, there's been no contact. I've seen some, even coaching teams, who have had like three, four months of no contact with each other. And the leaders haven't been proactive in maintaining those relationships in the meantime and communication. And I, I, I think... The way they, these have been navigated over this period is going to have a real consequence when everyone does get back to some form of normality. And I've seen it. I think some coaches and leaders have deepened their relationships and the trust they've built is going to pay big dividends. Whilst others have neglected their people, made them feel like they don't really belong, not sure where they stand, diminished trust. And unfortunately, I think that's going to also have a dividend. So for some leaders, profit is their first focus, while for others, it's their people. There's no shame in the former. It's the way we've been conditioned to be competitive, to be financially driven, to dominate our industry in the market. At a personal level, financial gain allows us to buy more things, to reinforce our status. We accept that there are winners and losers, and we've been encouraged to win at all costs, whatever the consequences. While this mental model might have been in place for decades, I felt a real shift in recent months through this great reflective pause that COVID has brought. The convergence of factors like sustainability and purpose, the social movements of Black Lives Matter and other social equality, and consumerism being challenged by new models like the sharing economy, and the circular economy. 
I think a lot of people are starting to reconsider their definition of winning. And if it means that if they win, does that mean that everyone in their community has to lose? Maybe we've realised the importance of warm social contact and fun social experiences in our definition of health and success. Maybe we've realised the power of these human factors while we've all been locked down. I know for me and my family, we've craved the simple pleasure of having friends and family around for a drink or a meal when the virus meant that no one could even leave their homes. This sense of community and of togetherness and belonging proved to be an essential part of thriving. I suppose the key question is, how do we leverage this powerful emotional connection and turn it into something which helps us all to thrive and perform better in our sports and our business teams. Owen's professional training came as a partner in a leading London law firm. His specialism was sports law and working at the top of his field brought him into close contact with many of the world's top athletes and coaches. He started to see the difference in the way the various teams handle pressure and crises and their successes. Some were volatile and short-term focused and others seemed to care for the individuals and wanted to nurture a long-term culture. Every organisation says that it cares for its people, but when the pressure ramps up, you really get to see if that's true. Owen's early years in New Zealand were characterised by a powerful personal experience that went on to spark his curiosity for heritage and culture, as he now explains. Uh, my passion for identity and our sense of heritage came from my childhood. Uh, when I was uh, five years old, my father passed away. He was part Maori and part English. And with his passing came a sense of a broken link, really, with this rich heritage that I was part of. And that's something that really stayed with me all through my childhood. So when I was 12 years old, I wrote to my Maori tribe and I asked them about what they knew of who I was. And they wrote a beautiful, powerful letter back, which was really telling me that I belonged and telling me stories of the tribe and of my ancestors. And in particular, one page which had this Maori idea, Whakapapa, written on the top of it, which was 25 names, one after the other, ending with my father and then myself. And it gave me an incredible sense of belonging, which I'd never really experienced before. So the tragic loss of Owen's father left him with so many questions. It felt like half of his lineage was lost. So that letter from his Maori tribe reconnected him back to many generations of his forefathers and immediately he felt like he belonged. He was part of something bigger than himself. I suppose this letter marked closure in some respects that he could now trace his lineage back, the characters, the stories, back into that timeline. But in another way, it opened a lifelong fascination for this all-important feeling of belonging. As part of his new book called Belonging, Owen has researched some of the ancient tribes and communities to see how they welcomed, supported and celebrated individuals into their social space. And as he dug deeper, he realised the gap between what our ancestors did and what we're currently doing in our frenetic modern world. I really do believe we've forgotten the power of belonging in teams. I think we've become very, very busy, and I think we've become very technical and very 
interested in data and strategy. But some of the most simple things around how humans um, work together, I think, have been forgotten. And I honestly believe our ancestors had a better idea of some of these ideas than, than we do. And I think we've developed a bit of a conceit, really, that we know better and we discount that ancient wisdom. So for me, when I really have un understood these ideas, I, I feel like they're not just spiritual ideas. They're actually practical advice as to how we build strong teams and the things we need to do to avoid weak teams. So we might think that our technology platform, our sports team or our insurance business is groundbreaking in the way we're going about things and it's going to change the world. But in essence, it's just a group of people trying to optimise their relationships so that we can get the job done. These rules of deep, resilient relationships are timeless. And in our quest for more individual recognition or financial clout, we might have missed some of the ancient principles which were relevant then and are just as relevant now. And Owen's research provided the context as to why this is the case. Belonging is hardwired into you know, being human. And I had some fascinating conversations with people like Professor Robin Dunbar at Oxford University, who's a world-famous evolutionary psychologist. And they explained to me that actually, you know, going back three million years or so, we were one of the primate species that left the jungle and came into the open lands, and the grasslands, probably for climactic reasons. And when we were in the jungles, we were able to forage. It wasn't that hard to find food. We didn't have to be that cooperative. In fact, we're quite independent, as a lot of primates are still, who are based in the jungle. But we decided to do something very different, come into the open grasslands. And there we were at a physiological disadvantage to a lot of other competitors and predators in that environment. And what we quickly realised is that our survival and our security and our ability to compete in that environment was going to be determined by how strong we were as a group, um, how we would work together and take care of each other. So our need to belong was always um, an expression of that brutal reality. And for all of human history, and I would say even now, if you are not part of a group, if you feel isolated or rejected or, or alone, then your health and ultimately your mortality will suffer as a result of that. So it's still very much part of who we are today. So that makes absolute sense that when we ventured out into more extreme and competitive environments, we needed to become even more interdependent. It was the strength of the team which would help us to survive and to thrive. Attacks could come from any angle, so we needed 360 degree vigilance rather than relying on our own instincts or one fierce warrior. You can imagine a group of maybe five or six extended families living together as hunter-gatherers. The men were out for a few days hunting. The women were picking fruits and maintaining the camp. And the elders were looking after the young children. With teenagers naturally staying awake later and grandparents rising earlier, there would always be somebody out on watch. Everyone had their role. No one more important than the other because it was the system that needed to work for every individual to thrive. So with harsh extremes of climate, wild animals and emotional isolation on the outside, it made sense on every level to remain close to the group. 
So you might be thinking, yeah, yeah, I get it, all the caveman stuff, but how does this relate to me and my business and my team? How can I apply this? And I think this is where it starts to get really interesting. Clearly, we don't work in extended family groups, or the majority of us don't. We often recruit diverse international strangers from different countries and different cultures and different age ranges and different skill sets into our performance communities because they have a specialism that our tribe needs for the team to thrive. But considering some of these options, we have a choice on how we integrate them from a social perspective. And this has been massively accentuated by the pandemic. I was interested to hear from Owen what happens if we neglect this sense of community and belonging in the workplace. And here's what he said. So this need to belong is expressed through anxiety, actually, is that when we come into a new group, we feel these high levels of anxiety. And that has a profound impact on our behaviour. Um, we can't really be ourselves. We're certainly not thriving. We're looking for acceptance. We're looking for signals around us to say that this is okay. You're accepted, you belong, and you can trust. But sometimes those signals don't come. And we stay in this high anxiety state. So for me, when I'm working with you know, high-performing teams, what we must try and do is there's enough anxiety and stress in the context of performing. So what we must do is in, in insulate as much as we possibly can from, from self-generated anxiety. So if we create a sense of belonging and a sense of trust and a shared vision and a shared identity, all of these things, it actually motivates people, it reduces anxiety, it makes them you know, experience more dopamine, more oxytocin, and some of these hormones which are going to be more favourable to unlock their performance. That's made so much sense to me. I've been in some sports teams as a player and as a coach and felt like an outsider. Like you have to prove yourself every turn before you're accepted and that period can go on for quite a long time. Now while I don't expect that to be everyone's mate straight away, it would be false to do that. We've also got to take some responsibility for the way we induct and welcome new people into our environment so that they don't feel like they're in the wilderness forever. After all, we've asked them to join because they can make an impact and add value. So why would we compromise that by making them feel stressed and making them feel like an outsider? Joining a new team in a competitive world is hard enough without feeling like your own teammates are against you too. This is an area of teams that we often neglect. A few years ago, I ran a coach education session for a senior group of rugby coaches and we touched on this. And the gnarly group of old pros in the room bristled when I mentioned these soft skills. They had to force their way in to be accepted, not by, you know, speaking to senior players. They'd, they'd have to keep their head down and keep quiet unless they were spoken to. They probably got smashed up at the back of the team bus on away trips as part of the initiation and all sorts of drinking games and whatever. Uh, and basically earning the right to be accepted. Why would you give that privilege to somebody straight away? They didn't see it. But my point was that because they'll play better and they'll play better sooner. To Owen's point, if someone's feeling stressed and full of doubt, then they're not going to play at their best for many weeks. So the established culture has a role to play in accelerating this feeling of trust and acceptance and belonging to give on new recruits a fast start. Maybe if we can get them up to speed faster than the youngsters in the opposition, 
then we could actually create another competitive advantage. Now there's a reframe. So what does your induction look like? A laptop, a Microsoft Teams login, and maybe a copy of the health and safety manual? Or do your leaders and teams consider this emotional engagement at this first critical touch point? I don't want to spoil the story in Owen's book, but when we worked together on the South African cricket team, along with the senior players, we devised an incredibly emotionally engaging uh, induction experience, which combined a powerful emotional anchor with a memorable way for the pro tiers to reinforce their own team identity and values. You'll be able to read all about it in Belonging. I'll leave the link in the show notes below. So how do these cultural touch points develop? Well, it comes back to Owen's first point that every team has a culture. People still have a first day and a last day in your business. It just depends on whether you consciously choose to make them memorable or not. So clearly leadership plays a huge part here. And again, Owen looked back for ancient wisdom and secrets to help us to improve our performance in the present day. Well, the role of the leader in ancient times was to take care of the people. That's why groups existed in the first place. And the person who became the leader, that was their fundamental role, is to make sure the people were taken care of, that they were fed, they were secure, um, and they, we could compete in the environment around us to make sure that we could sustain this culture and this togetherness that we had. So I think we've lost that to a degree because the idea of managing people has really dominated over the last couple of hundred years since the Industrial Revolution. But managing people is something quite different. It's when you have a clear outcome that you're trying to achieve and you have to manage the process, including human beings along the way. And I think in, in sport, for example, but also leadership more widely, those ideas have become a little bit confused. And so for our ancient leaders, the Maori people, for example, the, the word for leader was rangatera. And ranga and tera are two separate words meaning weave the people. So the, the, literally the definition of a leader was a person who wove the people together. And I think that's a really beautiful way of understanding what leadership really is. But probably a foreign idea for the way people, you know, many people would think today. I love that rangatira, weaving the people together. Notice that the ancient leaders weren't weaving the spreadsheets together or weaving the artificial intelligence code together. It's someone who makes sure that each team member is thriving individually and then is woven into a formidable formation with their teammates, everyone relying equally on each other to deliver this inspirational shared goal. Where would we score? Are we managing the budgets and the process in our teams? Or are we truly weaving the people together like those Maori leaders of yesterday? Well, creating high-performing teams is one of the key responsibilities for great leaders. And I just wanted to take this opportunity to let you know about the inspirational leadership program from Sporting Edge that I'll be guiding a group of ambitious execs, coaches and entrepreneurs through from September the 17th. It's called the Winning Mindset for Leaders and it's our flagship leadership programme. It's all delivered digitally, so it's incredibly flexible and it means you'll have access to the world's highest profile and most inspirational faculty of advisors. 
They range from world-class neuroscientists helping you to be more creative to medical doctors boosting your health and resilience. Elite coaches will share their strategies on how to inspire your team and business strategy experts will help you to future-proof your career and your organisation through this incredible period of disruption. A leading energy company recently put 120 of their high potentials onto the programme and got amazing results because it blends short, inspirational video insights with practical leadership skills and strategies that can be applied straight away into your context. So please click on the link below in the show notes and search Winning Mindset for Leaders uh, via Sporting Edge's website and you can join me for our September cohort. I'll be launching it with a great webinar to bring all of our global cohort together for September the 17th. It'll deliver a massive impact and we'll have some great fun along the way. So that's the Winning Mindset for Leaders programme. One of the key areas leaders can make an impact is by weaving people together to deliver an inspirational goal. Whether that's virtually or face-to-face, many companies are looking at this hybrid working model and I've been asked to speak at quite a few return-to-work conferences in the next few months, which I'm absolutely thrilled to be doing. So what can leaders do in practical terms to foster this emotional or human edge? Well, Owen's thinking pushes us to consider team building, not by the mechanics of a personality profile or how we talk to each other while we're building rafts on an away day, but by something much more profound. Well, I think creating a champion team or a great team is a spiritual exercise. And some people might go, oh, what's he talking about? But if you look at the definition of spirituality, It involves individuals being connected to something bigger than themselves. And then the second limb of that definition of spirituality is around the idea of deep emotional connection between people. And I can't see how you create a brilliant, high-performing environment without both of those being present. This idea of individuals connected to something bigger than their ego, bigger than themselves, and this really deep connection and trust between people. So I don't use the word spirituality a lot, but I do fundamentally believe that is the nature of the exercise in creating a great team. And it's not just about managing people. It's about creating something much more special than that. So those two axes of interpersonal connection and connection to a higher purpose make sense. I can feel passionate about my work and the impact it has on others and I can feel this bond with my teammates who've been through the highs and the lows with me. Either of these can be present, but when we connect with each other and with our purpose, that's when the magic in teams starts to happen. This is where the individual ego gets reduced. People become more selfless and consider what they can give to the team rather than take for their own gain. They also become more long-term focused, away from the smash and grab of what makes me look successful and superior in the short term. And they start to consider what makes us thrive together in the long term. We can only get this when people feel psychologically safe. They feel respected and valued for their place in the team. And they can see the part that they're making to delivering something that's bigger than themselves, that could be something incredible as their legacy. Leaders play a pivotal role here in initiating these stories of who we are as a team, 
why we're different to our rivals and why our work is vital for society. These elements exist in every founding story, in every merger, in every sporting team, and they're either weakened or reinforced by the way leaders confront or ignore the everyday happenings within their team culture. Owen mentioned the letter that he received from his Maori tribe at the age of 12, tracing his ancestry after his father died. It reconnected him back into his lineage. There was a special word at the top of that sheet of paper, and Owen now explains how this beautiful spiritual philosophy has been applied into one of the highest profile teams in the world, the New Zealand All Blacks. One of the ideas I talk about when it comes to this deep connection between people and the deep sense of belonging is the Maori idea of whakapapa. But one thing I've learned is that this idea is actually quite universal. A lot of different cultures have something similar that they speak about. But the idea is quite simple really, that each of us are part of an unbreakable chain of people going back in time to our very first ancestor, you know, our origin story. And not only going back in time, but our arms are interlinked. They're unbreakable. But also into the future. So we're part of this unbreakable chain of people that goes to the end of time. And if you think about it from a family point of view, we go all the way back to our first ancestors, whatever way you would understand that. Um, for me, my arms are interlocked with my father, even though he passed away when I was five. That's an unbreakable bond that we have. Um, I have two children and they're with me now and our arms are interlinked, but they're also interlinked with their children and my great-grandchildren. But the All Blacks use exactly the same frame for how they think about the team. From 1893 was their origin story. And there's, the shirt has, not just metaphorically, I think they feel like it's literal, has been passed down each of those teams all the way to now. And the metaphor is that the sun slowly moves down this chain of people revealing each in turn. And when the sun is shining on you, that's the moment when you're alive and you're performing. And it's incumbent upon you to inherit this culture and live it, and then leave the best legacy you can to strengthen this tribe, this group of people, and then in time pass it on to those who come after us. And through this idea, this expression, you, you have the sense of uh, immortality in many ways. And I think a lot of people find that very, very reassuring in a world which is in many ways very impermanent and feel, feels that way. I love this philosophy and it may be ancient to the Maori people, but it's just as relevant today. And I've used it in a number of corporate webinars and presentations and it absolutely connects every individual to their team and their business unit and to their customer or their client or their patient. This is where purpose really becomes practical in its execution. We all have our history full of scrapes and successes. We all have our future where we hope to inspire those who come after us, whether it's athletes breaking international records, children learning from our wisdom, or executives navigating our business through uncertainty to a healthy and successful future. But we also have that time in the sunlight for ourselves when it's our time to make a difference. And when we feel like we belong to a tribe of people who accept and respect us and we're striving for a purpose that's bigger than ourselves, that's when we can do amazing things. So to me, Papa is so potent as it blends purpose, togetherness and personal accountability. 
No wonder the All Blacks are such a dominant force. So I guess the question for us all to consider is, what are we going to achieve while we're in the sunlight? And what are we going to do to inspire those who come after us? Despite the power of that philosophy, I can still hear the cynic saying, this is a bit soft. We need to win. And if people play badly or they can't sell our goods, then we just can't keep them for an eternity and you know, wait to have them dropped or replaced. I understand that. I posed the same question to Owen to see if selection and belonging were the same thing. And his response challenges this binary notion that you're either in or you're out. So belonging doesn't mean that everybody is permanently part of this team. You know, in our families, I think that's the case, but in most teams, that's not the case. And, you know, the idea is the sun moves down this chain of people and it's on some people for a really long time and it's on others not for such a long time. But you can still be someone who even play one game for the New Zealand All Blacks. You can still have this incredibly deep sense of belonging because when you come in, there's these rich inductions. People look you in the eye and tell you you belong here, you've earned the right to be here, you're part of what we want to do. And then if it doesn't work out, then that's okay because it's a high performance space. But people thank you and people say that you are still one of us and they include you and they give you this incredible legacy of feeling like this was an incredible honour, great experience and I benefited from it. And I, I really don't like the idea that people are brought into an environment and people hold back and judge them and then they tell them at a future point either you can belong now or you never belonged and you need to go. And I think that's a recipe for people underperforming and underachieving. Hashi Mamler is an, an example, isn't he, with, this, with the Proteas. When he first came in, it was a very difficult environment. He didn't feel he belonged. I think he averaged 12 in his first year in the Proteas in Test Cricket, 12. You know, by the time he'd retired, after he'd been dropped for over a year, he came back, he averaged just under 50. Now, he could have been lost forever easily. The thing that was holding him back more than anything was that sense that I don't really belong here and this environment is not signalling these um, cues to me that this is a safe place for me and I'm respected. People are holding me at arm's length and I can't express myself. So I think that by all means we need to avoid that and I think there are great examples where you can give people an incredible sense of belonging even if they're only with you for a short period of time. How many teams have people in them who feel like they're just not fully accepted? What we've covered today comes under the heading of soft skills, but they're far from it. These are the hardest things to tackle, but when leaders are able to unlock this latent human potential, they take their team's performance to a completely new level. I've seen it firsthand in sport and in business. Owen's brilliant book called Belonging reframes the modern-day tensions in teams using the ancient wisdom of our ancestors. I really recommend that you buy it. I hope you enjoy reading it, and I've added a link to Owen's personal LinkedIn into the show notes, just in case you want to tag him into a message. If you've enjoyed this episode, then please do just press the button and share it with your network. We all need a bit of inspiration at the moment. And if you'd like to take your leadership thinking to the next level, remember to get in touch with me at hello at sportingedge.com about our Winning Mindset for Leaders programme starting on September the 17th. 
Thanks so much for listening, for rating and for sharing this episode. I greatly appreciate it. And until next time, make sure you make the most of your time in the sunlight. Thanks for listening to this episode of Inside the Mind of Champions. Connect with Jeremy's LinkedIn, Twitter and Instagram links in today's show notes to receive the latest insights from his work. If you'd like to get access to Sporting Edge's digital library or book Jeremy for a conference speech or webinar, then please visit www.sportingedge.com or email hello at sportingedge.com.